Pastor Xavier Reese and the Heavenly Father's joy at the lost who have been found. The lost son was forgiven and welcomed back. He was welcomed back by the father. He says, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, pity. The father represents God, the father. He had turned from his sin and returned home. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Luke chapter 15 begins with the Pharisees criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners and tax collectors. But facing their objections head-on, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable that taught the unsuspecting Pharisees, who thought of themselves as the most religious, that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now let's join Pastor Xavier drawing today's simple truths from Scripture's most beloved parable of the prodigal son. In 1946, a young man named uh, Szyslaw Galuski, along with others who roamed the German countryside and were sacking everything in sight, on one isolated farm, they gunned down 10 members of one family. Only one survived. When uh, Galuski completed his 20-year sentence for his crime, the state would not release him because he didn't, he didn't have any place to go reside. The surviving member of that family heard of his release and that he had nowhere to go. He asked the authorities to turn Galuski to his custody. He wrote in his request, and listen carefully, Christ died for my sins and forgave me. Should I not then forgive this man? Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Christianity. That's the power of grace and the Holy Spirit. Not a lot of the junk that we're reading contemporary Christian books today. It's not about me. It's not about self. It's about Christ and others. No one can do this on their own. Absolutely not. The two best-known parables, probably the Good Samaritan and the um, prodigal son that we're going to look at, they both demonstrate the incredible grace of God, and they're both unique of Luke. To set the stage, the preceding material has been focusing on the need of um, repentance for salvation, as you know, to enter the kingdom of God. And we can just say from chapter 12 to 14 and the material there, but even before that. And the topic of salvation of sinners continues here. But now exposing the self-righteous objection of the Pharisees and the scribe against Jesus for receiving and eating with sinners and, and extending the grace of God to him. Jesus just spoke about the cost of discipleship at the end of chapter 14, verse 25 to 27, that it even cost us sometimes our fathers, our mothers, our husbands, our wives, or our children, family members. Now, we don't receive that radical of loss here in America, but the people do across the world in other cultures. Jesus then illustrated in 1428 to 35 the cost of being a disciple by assessing the expense that it would take to build a tower, lest we are unable to finish it and people mock us or and an enemy that is attacking him to assess whether he has enough military might to defeat him. If not, he should go seek some peaceful treaty. At the end of that, the punchline in 35 is he who has an ear let him hear. 
So all the tax collectors and sinners are responding to that cry of Jesus here in 15.1. As they come near to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining against Jesus because he was receiving these sinners and eating with them in verse 1 and 2. Remember that earlier in chapter 7.34, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a glutton, a wine-bearer, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, the most disgusting people in the Jewish society. In verse 3, the occasion prompted Jesus to teach the parable. The usual commentary is that there are three parables. The lost sheep, 1 through 7. The lost coin, 8 to 10. The lost two sons, usually referred to as the prodigal son, 11 through 32. In reality, it is one parable with three parts. The word for parable is in the singular, not the plural. The central message of all three parts of this one parable is the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Let me give you the punchline up front. Verse 6 and 7, 9 and 10, 23, 24, and 32. They all say the same thing. All three of them emphasize the joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, the three parts have been interpreted as the three persons of the Godhead being involved, the Trinity. Verse 1 through 7, Jesus is the good shepherd seeking the lost sheep. 8 through 10, the bride of Christ, the church, by the Holy Spirit, seeking the lost. And 11 through 32, God the Father receiving and forgiving the lost son, imparting salvation. So, we want to focus on the longest and the climax of the three parts, the parable of the lost two sons. Let me read. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them to his uh, of his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the field to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and he began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The parable of the two sons unfolds for us in three movements. First, we have the son who chose to live in sin, 11 through 16. The second movement is the son who chose to repent from sin, 17 to 24. And thirdly, the son who chose to remain lost in sin, 25 through 32. The story begins. Notice in verse 11 and 12, the request of the youngest son here is for his inheritance. The one declaring the parable is Jesus. Make sure you mark that. He said in verse 11, the third part of the parable of salvation, again, is the climax to the previous two. The third part is the longest, as you can see, and the third part is still referring back to the Pharisees and the scribes. The parable presents a family of that day, a certain man, a common phrase that Luke uses all the time. It appears 14 times. Three main characters, the father, the two sons. Both sons are lost. Don't forget that. The son asks for his inheritance. He's the younger one in 12. He approaches his father. He says, Father, respectful. He requests for that which pertains to him, which was lawful, according to Deuteronomy 21, 16 through 17, the right of inheritance. He would get, as the younger, one-third. The older would get two-thirds, his portion that fell to him. And notice that he was not resisted by the father. And as you will see, he was not forced by the father to remain in the home. But he received this portion. He divided them of his livelihood. The livelihood being that which would take from day to day to live as you are putting away a nest egg for when you get older. Now, the willful squandering of his inheritance comes next in 13 and 14. The younger son soon after decided to leave home away from parental restraint. It's obvious as we see the story unfold. In 13, the plans to leave home seem to have been the motive for requesting his inheritance. Notice what it says. And not many days after, this is called litotis. In other words, it's just the reverse, implying few days. That was soon after. So therefore, his plans were already thought in his mind. That's why he's asking for this cash out. He's already planned. I'm getting out of here. His mind was made up. The plans were to move far away, notice, from home and father. He gathered all together and journeyed to a far country. It was a process in his mind already. His heart's made up. He didn't consider the father. He didn't consider no one but himself. We, we get the word here for gathered together, the word synagogue. 
It means to assemble together or to join together. Now notice at the end of 13 and 14, the younger son gave himself over now to a life of sin. He spent all of his inheritance. It says that there he wasted his possessions. The word wasted simply means to throw or scatter. It's used for seed or wheat or, or grain, you, 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 so you sow. Here, of course, the implication is a negative, in meaning that he is just wasting it away, spending it. It's interesting that if you never work for something, you don't know how to handle money. And, and those who have won the lottery uh, are, are evident of that. Or people who have been left much wealth and they've never really worked for it or anything, and they go through it instead of having that help them and invest it. Listen to Proverbs 28, 7. It says, Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Now, how many of us having been in the world, cannot identify with this story. Perhaps even we were out there. Certainly, maybe we didn't have a Christian home, but we, we decided that our friends were more important at a certain place and time, and that their concept of the world and their way of life, that that's where we were going. Now, notice he did so with prodigal living, it says. Um, it means a, a, a lifestyle of abandonment, riotous, which both dishonored God, his father, and anyone else, even himself, though it's not always interpreted like that. Uh, we just figure we have the right to live any way we want. And today in an amoral society, which uh, condones and encourages riotous living without making judgments, then it's much easier for people to just fly down the hill without no brakes, thinking they're never going to crash. A permissive, immoral, and sensual life is what's identified here. It only appears one time. In the scriptures here. In 14, notice he found himself in a difficult situation all of a sudden. He was living high on the hog, had it all. Now he has no money left. The party friends are gone. Been there? <laughs> as long as you have the pad, everybody can crash out and party. You have the booze, you have the drug. But once all that's gone, where are my friends? He was in the midst of famine. There arose a severe famine. Sometimes in Scripture we see that God brings famine to people and nations. That's a correction and judgment. Now he began to be in want, it says. That means he had no means of caring for himself on any level due to his choices. You're going to see this very clear. This son, this sinner, he is not entitled. He believes everything he did was his fault. The problem with our generation, we've got entitlement. And everybody's always blaming their father, their mother, or because they got bullied at school or whatever. Somebody took their Milky Way or something. Instead of owning up to their own choices and sin. Look at 15 and 16. The degrading state of having lost all his inheritance is given to us. In 15, he became desperate in need. He acquired work from a Gentile. That's how bad he is. He's a Jew. Remember that. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of the country. And the word join there means to glue, to cement. The idea is to cleaving. And it's due to his desperation. The same word is used to describe a man who is sexually joined to a harlot in 1 Corinthians 6.16. You're glued together. You're joined in a way that no other way that God has for a man and a woman. He was hired. To care for the pigs all of a sudden. His progression is downward. 
You might be contemplating sin or even living in sin. Well, you're, though you may think your, your progression is upward, it's downward. It'll never be upward in sin. It's always downward. And it always is forward. And you pick up speed. The pig was like an unclean animal, as you know, forbidden by the law for the Jew. Leviticus 11.7 and Deuteronomy 14.8. A degrading position for this Jew, he's feeding pigs. In 16, he became desperate to eat. And, and what, where's he at? What, what, what food does he have? Nothing. So he's slowly starving. Now, I've, I've never been in this position to starve, but I, I imagine if you, you'll put anything in your mouth after a while, you gotta get something in your stomach. He would gladly have filled his stomach, it says, with the pots of the swine that they ate. Can you imagine you're salivating at what the pigs are eating? That's how hungry you are. I've never been there. Now, he had everything in the father's house, as he's going to look back. And now he has all this. The father didn't do it. God didn't do it. He did it. And notice that he was given nothing. No one gave him anything. No one was there for him. Now, no one was willing to help him. The money's gone. Party's over. Lights out. Nobody's home. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. First John 2, 16 and 17. Once again, it's a choice, ladies and gentlemen. The son who chose to live in sin left the father's house. The second movement makes the story turn to a good end. The son who repents from sin. Notice in verse 17, the lost son reflected on his degrading sinful condition. He came to see the error of his way and self-imposed consequences. The consideration is in contrast to his present condition with the pigs, by the way. The word but when he came to himself. To his own senses. All of a sudden the light went on. He connected the dots. This is what he had brought himself to. The comparison was about the food his father's servants had and what he did not have. He said, how many of my father's higher servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. And so he came to a decision in verse 18 to change his direction, acknowledging his sin and desire to be saved. First, his sin is against God. Listen. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Notice that he came to himself. God deals with us through the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't force you to go to heaven. He doesn't force you to turn from sin. But he shows you your sin and what it's doing to you, and then he's hoping you make the right choice to turn to him. This is what this young man is doing. But first he acknowledges sins against God. I have sinned against heaven. The vertical always is a priority. Second, his sin against the Father. And before you, realizing no matter how pleasurable sin is, it's fleeting. It's unsatisfying to its full end. And it's always destructive. It's like cotton candy. It looks so big. It looks so good. You put it in your mouth and it's gone. Now you have cavities. Look at 19. 
He came to the place of humbling himself. Notice the progression. He came to himself, he made confession, and he humbles himself. He acknowledged he had dishonored his father. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He understood the vile depth of his sin and sinful condition that he had brought upon himself. He did not want his father to be connected with him or his sin. What a change. So he asked his father for a job. That's what he's contemplating he's going to be doing. This is all what he's going to do. Make me like one of your higher servants, having no rights of a son and earning his daily keep. Now notice in 20 and 21, the lost son turns now, what we just read, to go and confess to his father his sin. His sincere and genuine repentance is evident by his actions, not mere remorse. There's a big difference. Remorse is you're sorry, you feel bad, you cry over the consequences, but you soon return to what you did. Repentance is a 180-degree turnaround. You're walking away from God, now you're walking towards God. He went to speak now face to face with his father, and he says, and he arose and he came to his father, and the tense is a participle error is active, literally having risen up, he was on his way. So his actions, his, his, his intent is sincere, genuine. And he was greeted with unexpected loving kindness. He, you know, he, he knows what he's done. He knows where he's at. The word but there marks the sharp contrast that his father did not wait for his son to reach him. The father was moved by his tender love for his son, knowing his return indicated repentance. It's implied in the parable. He said, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, pity. The father affirmed his love. How? Listen. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father represents God, the father. Notice his sincere and genuine repentance is confirmed by his words. First his actions, now his words in verse 21. He acknowledged and confessed his sin against God first, just as he said he was. Listen. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. This is always the primary one that we sin against. Regardless of who we sin with or who we sin against, the vertical is always the priority. Then he confessed his sin against his father as he said he was going to do. Notice he confessed that um, he had dishonored his father. He says, and I... I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Exactly what he said he was going to do. Here's, here's the, you have the fruit of genuine repentance. He understood the vile depth of his sin and he didn't want his father to be connected again with it. Verifying it. He spent all of his inheritance to the father and the, and the inheritance never comes up. Did you notice this? That's not even brought up. When we get to 22 to 24, the lost son was forgiven and welcomed back. He was welcomed back by the father. The son who repented from sin returned to the father's house. He chose to return. Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating with the parable of the prodigal son, how the repentant soul can never stray too far from the open arms of the forgiving heavenly father. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com.
But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. However, in the meantime, you can always pick up your own copy of this message. And the title to ask for is A Lost Son Saved by Grace. It's available on CD as usual for only $4. Once again, you'll be asking for the message titled A Lost Son Saved by Grace. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure and include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. While the pleasure of sin is for a season, its destruction can be eternal. Pastor Xavier Reese has more on the sin and self-righteousness that separate us from God, next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.